0: Today on CityCast Denver. The holidays are one of the best times to enjoy downtown Denver, with the Chris Kindle market and the city and county building all lit up. But the parking can be such a pain. We responded to a listener's parking frustrations last week, but I wanted to really understand this, so we called up Denver's number one urban aficionado power couple to answer the big question. Does Denver have too much parking or not enough? Today is Monday, December 19th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Jill and Frank Locantore, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. So Frank, last time we had you on, you were representing the Colfax Avenue Business Improvement District, and you showed us around some cool stuff happening in Denver. What is new on Colfax these days?
1: Oh, well, I guess top of mind is the big sculpture art that's by the Fillmore. I we, saw
0: you guys had it carted off.
1: Yes, we did. We had it carted off and and our friends at the Fillmore got a little worried and they said, uh, you did this, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's getting little TLC with uh, some minor repairs, fresh coat of paint and uh, clear coat and everything like that.
0: Jill, last time you were on, we talked about scooters and some of the work you've been doing with Denver Streets Partnership, but that's like a tiny part of this giant story where you helped initiate and push forth this initiative to fix Denver sidewalks, and
2: voters said yes. They sure did. They said Denver deserves sidewalks. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. What is next with that project? Uh, Now, implementation. This is a major public infrastructure project and a totally new undertaking for the city. So there's a lot to work out in terms of the details of how they're going to do that. You two, okay, I understand you sort of have a transit love story. And I would
0: love to hear (laughs) how you fell in love with not having a car. (laughs) Which also involves you you
2: together as a couple. <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to take a crack yeah. at this? <laughs> so we actually met here in Denver, where I was taking a year off between college and graduate school, um, and both of us had cars at that time, and there was a lot of driving involved in our romance, uh, because uh, I was living in Boulder at first with my sister, because that was a cheap place to live, was sure. you know <laughs> crashing at my sister's place, and Frank lived in Denver, so there was a lot of driving back and forth to date each other. Uh, but then I moved to Toronto to go to graduate school and I gave up my car when I moved there because I I couldn't figure out how to afford a car anymore. I was gonna be a poor graduate student. And I felt fairly confident I could figure out how to live without a car in Toronto. It has a great transit system. We tried being apart for a year, that didn't work so well. So (laughs) Frank eventually moved to Toronto with me and he also gave up his car. Um, And I think we both just really fell in love with the the lifestyle that's possible when you don't have to schlep around a two-ton metal box with you everywhere you go. (laughs) you can walk to the local grocery store in the park and you can take transit out and, you know, get a little sloppy with beers and make it home safely.
1: I think I would just add just more of the apprehension of getting rid of the car, you know, in the beginning, right? Because I, I grew up on Long Island, so it's not the city. It's not New York. It's more like you know, in terms of suburban Colorado. And so getting your learner's permit and then driver's license as close to your 16th birthday as possible was a rite of passage. And having a car ever since was just how Pretty normal. you were a human. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so when um, I followed Jill to Toronto and she said, Yeah, sell your car. I was like, Really? And I, I don't know how many times I said, Really, but it was a few. <laughs> and I, I trusted her. And so I sold it. That was ninety-seven and ninety-eight. So neither of us have had a car since then, and in in our moves from Toronto to Washington D.C. back to Denver, uh, we've continued to not have a car and continue to go to the mountains to go hiking or snowshoeing and uh, you know have fun throughout the year. Um, but we don't have the expense of the same type of expense as the car.
0: So, okay, the reason I actually wanted to have you both on was last week we had a conversation on the show about a pretty controversial topic Parking in downtown Denver. And both of you reached out, um, which I appreciate so much. I think that you both are really excellent at creating a space for dialogue around this conversation. And it centered on this question that we got from a listener. And he, his name is Eric S. And he said, one of his frustrations is the lack of parking in central Denver, specifically around Civic Center and the Central Library. And he was just frustrated that there's few metered spots in the area. A lot of times those meters are bagged. But there's a lot of stuff going on downtown, especially during Christmas, and he doesn't feel that it's accessible in the sense that he doesn't have anywhere to park. And I wanted to hear from both of you, what would your answer be to Eric's?
2: Yeah, I think the answer is there's plenty of parking downtown. It's very poorly managed. Okay. And it's incoherent because it's a mishmash of on-street parking, off-street parking, publicly managed parking, privately managed parking within incoherent system of helping people understand where to park or how much it's cost or why it costs that much. At Civic Center, there is a structured parking garage right there across from the Denver Art Museum and the library. And it's open to the public. And it's often not full. Okay. But people don't necessarily know about that. Sure. Or I honestly, I haven't parked there recently. So I don't know how much Or if anything actually it costs to park in that particular parking structure but I had a similar experience I had a rental car the other day so I was driving and I drove to the CU Denver building that's down at 14th and Larimer and there's enormous surface parking lots right there that are six dollars an hour and then there's on-street parking that's two dollars an hour so here I am in my car Trying to decide, do I want to spend $6 an hour, or $2 an hour? I'll go for the $2 an hour, but it's really hard to find an on-street parking spot. So I'm going to drive around the block six times, <laughs> spewing pollution, you know, causing congestion, which is stupid because that surface parking lot was like 90% empty. I,
0: Jill, and that I is a huge waste
2: of space. So many times.
0: <laughs> and I have to say, I grew up in this city. There were way more of those surface lots downtown. I mean, if you think they're bad now, 20 years ago. It was all surface parking lots, but I see your point. So I guess then, what is the what it what should we do, or what do you think? What do you what would be ideal? What would you say to someone like Eric Like, how do we re how do we change your mind around? actually getting there?
2: Well, it's not so much changing Eric's mind that I'm concerned about. He's rightfully frustrated because our city's doing a really poor job of managing our parking situation. Okay. It's our city leaders (laughs) that I want to take action to be more proactive and more strategic about actually understanding what parking supply and demand is in the city. We don't have a good inventory of how much parking is available, nor do we have good data on how it's utilized or not. And we don't have a strategy for managing it that considers holistically what's available on street, what's available off street, what's public, what's private, what's what do you have to pay for, what's free. And my eyes were really open to this uh, when I went on the Copenhagen trip that the Downtown Denver Partnership organized. And we were there because it's this incredible, walkable, bikeable, transit-friendly city, which it totally is. It is amazing. But we were meeting with city leaders and they were so proudly telling us about these amazing parking garages that they had built. And I was like, what? What is happening? Why are we talking about parking garages? (laughs) I was here to talk about walking and biking. And it slowly dawned on me because the city of Copenhagen has taken it upon itself as the public sector to build structured parking and regularly spaced in areas where there's a demand that takes all the pressure off of the streets because people don't have to park on the street. So now we can use street space for bike lanes, for transit, for trees, for playgrounds. They have playgrounds all over the place in Copenhagen. It takes all the pressure off of each individual property. So this grocery store and that restaurant doesn't have to try and estimate this is exactly how much parking space we need, and we have to provide it on our private property. And it just makes life easier So for it's everybody. It's a
0: management issue or creating other opportunities versus just having a a sprinkling of private lots and then have 20 people circling for the same six spots
2: exactly that's so inefficient it's frustrating for everybody and it means we're missing out on these major opportunities to use public space for something better than just storing cars interesting this is
0: this is really making me think
1: from the (laughs) business angle too, right? Yes. Like you were bringing up just before uh, Jill was talking about um, th- that there were many more of those parking lots in the city 20 years ago or whatever. And and there was, a, I think it was in the, um, the Colorado History Museum a while ago where we saw this very simple exhibit that basically had blocks where buildings were in the city. And then you kind of took them away by error. <sighs> And um, sorry, era, a little bit of New York accent coming out there, but they were replaced by parking lots, you know, surface parking lots. We lost so much because we needed to have storage for parking. And now come to the present day when we've got these uh, mandatory parking requirements and you look at a street like Colfax that has a very fine grained um uh, fabric of, you know, small shops, one right after the other, shoulder to shoulder for the most part. It's uh, not
0: a very wide street in most, it's most not a wide sections street. of Colfax right. that I'm thinking and of.
1: The lot sizes do not go very deep away from colfax meaning that you have a very challenging environment to develop on and then layer in that you need to require parking and you're like okay i've got a small business and now i need to provide you know insert the required number of parking spots i have no room for my business i have no room to build housing um, if, if that's what I wanted to do on top of my business for my family or for other families because I'm required to have parking. And so the parking is, you know, in the past it took away historic buildings. In the present it's preventing additional housing.
0: Because these uh, because of the minimums required for buildings in Denver. If you're going to build whatever amount of units you have to have a certain amount of parking spots, right?
1: And then yet they build the required parking and the parking is the- getting used used. interesting and but those costs were incurred in the projects construction and those costs don't disappear somebody ate those costs and it's going to be the renter
0: sure sure so you're saying that that also contributes to some of our higher rent issues okay so I, i okay i also said on the show like here look i grew up here people love to drive it's a reality my neighborhood for instance you're familiar with very familiar with jill i know you do work in westwood and on federal you've seen federal boulevard it wouldn't be so wide if everybody wasn't driving on it so my question is you both are really great at thinking about incremental change what is what does that look like to get the me's of the world out of the car and into other opportunities
2: I would actually challenge your statement that everybody in Denver loves to drive.
0: Okay, true. Fair. (laughs) Let me backtrack that. You're right. I think it's part of the culture. And I would say that because, Frank, you described something about growing up in a more suburban area. Everybody got their, you know, you try to get your license as soon as possible. It's like this rite of passage thing. But a lot of it is too. We're going to see our friends in the burbs or they're coming to see us or whatever. Like that, it's sort of just a natural element of... My growing up here was getting places to see my friends or family in other parts of this, or where I worked or whatever, and driving was pretty much the way that I would think
2: about it. Because driving was the only option available to you. Sure. So people drive because they don't feel like they have viable options, and they grew up in communities where driving was the only viable option, so it's hard for them to imagine how a city could function otherwise. But at the end of the day, people just want to get where they're trying to go yes. safely and conveniently. And I guarantee you if it was safer and convenient to get around by not driving, a lot of people would just choose to do so. Yeah, And even people who do like driving or like their car, it's not necessarily pleasant in an urban environment. You know, Nate Miner from Colorado Public Radio sure. recently asked this question on Twitter. What is the worst street to drive on in Denver? And people <laughs> name streets like Federal Boulevard, Colorado Boulevard, Sheridan Boulevard. On those streets, we have done the maximum possible to, to make cater it easy to drive to drivers. Yeah. We have widened them at the expense of actually removing and narrowing sidewalks. We've said no way you can't have any space for bikes or trans or anything else and people still hate driving <laughs> on those streets because the answer is it's geometry. Yeah. In a city where there's a bunch of people living close together trying to get to the same place at the same time, Everybody trying to do it with a gigantic metal box wrapped around them is just not possible with the way geometry works. And I also, I, I didn't comprehensively read every single street that was mentioned on that Twitter thread that Nate put out there, but I did not see anybody mention 18th or 19th in downtown Denver. Downtown Denver, one of the most congested, busy parts of the city. Those streets have dedicated bike lanes, dedicated transit lanes, wide sidewalks and a couple lanes for cars but these are solvable problems <laughs> sure. if we want better transit yeah. we know how to do that yeah. you know it's dedicating the space for the, on our streets for transit vehicles it's paying for more frequent service it's looking hard at you know the worker retention at rtd and how do we make that job of bus driver more attractive we can solve these problems. We just have to decide what kind of city do we actually want to be? Not, you know, what are we right now? But where do we want to go?
0: Well, and you're bringing something else up, Jill, that I'm thinking about, which is like RTD's got a pretty bad rap right now, right? Like we look at the coverage it gets. Oh, the line, they're cutting service. Their drivers are not happy or they're under, they don't have enough drivers. Like what can we do as citizens of the city to advocate for a transit system that sometimes feels like it doesn't even advocate for itself
2: you know what i mean yeah rtd is not its own best advocate but also RTD has been woefully underfunded for years and we put a lot of demands on them and surprise they're having a hard time delivering when we're not willing to fund them you know and the reality is they are the transit system we have and so the onus is on us, I think. How do we set them up for success? You know, what is the funding that they need in order to pay bus drivers what they're worth, in order to run the buses frequently in- enough so they're actually useful? What's the role of the city of Denver and CDOT in terms of giving buses the space that they need on our city streets and not forcing them to get stuck in congestion with everybody else? It's it's our transit system. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not like we just point fingers at RTD and like you're not doing good enough like what What do we need to do to help you RTD be successful and the answers are, are pretty obvious it's not that complicated
0: so okay I guess that was would be what I would close with, with for both of you if you could give the car driver in Denver one tip or one thing they could implement or try this weekend to cha- start to change their behavior
2: be empathetic of people outside of the car whether they're walking or biking or trying to run across the street to get to the transit stop, everybody's just trying to get somewhere safely. Nobody is deliberately trying to irritate other people on the street. I mean, yes, there are a very tiny percentage of people who are being aggressive and mean, but most people are just trying to get somewhere. Be empathetic. Slow down. Yield. Maybe wave at them. The slow down thing, that's a whole other conversation <laughs> I want to have for another day, but Frank.
1: Hmm. Well, my, my first thought is just ask yourself, what would Jill do? And then try and do that. <laughs> and 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 maybe a, a corollary is like know your limitations. Right. Especially, you know, as a driver, like you've got blind spots. You know, the car has been made really safe for the, its internal inhabitants. The driver. Yes. And um, but it, it, it comes at a bit of a cost of visibility. Yeah. So those would know the limitations of the car
0: be more cognizant of what you are driving around if you're going to do it. I would say try to walk somewhere that you usually drive. Like just try one time. Like I will say for instance a couple weeks ago we were going to meet some friends at the Empress which is literally two and a half blocks from my house and my husband was like can we just walk there? And we walked there and it was freezing and it was freezing for six minutes. (laughs) So if you're like me Maybe try one trip this weekend and just try to walk it instead. And put a hat on. Jill and Frank Locuntore, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, you. Brie. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. City resources. Last week, Mayor Hancock issued an emergency declaration to free up some money to help with the hundreds of migrants and asylum seekers who have showed up in Denver over the last few months. Nine News reports that so far, the city has spent more than $800,000 on emergency shelter operations, including food, clothing, security, and safe sleeping arrangements. The city is looking for volunteers and organizations specializing in migrant support. We'll put a link in the show notes if you'd like to help. And finally, as 2022 draws to a close, we're not doing the usual look back at the year's top stories. Instead, we want to hear what you think Denver's biggest wins and hardest fails were. Who or what had a great year? Who had the most to celebrate? Or what sucked the most in 2022? Leave us a voicemail or text with your name, neighborhood, and your thoughts on Denver's biggest win or most epic fail, and you might hear it on the show. Our number is 720-500-5418. Again, that number is 720-500-5418. And speaking of our hotline, we really love getting voicemails from you, even when you're rightfully calling us out, like Alex from Clayton, who called in after my conversation with Denver Post reporter Megan Ululani-Boyenton and my producer Paul Caroli about the big nuclear fusion breakthrough on last Friday's show.
3: I was calling about your guys talking about nuclear fusion on today's show. It got kind of like a round uh, meh from everybody so I just wanted to call and explain a little bit about it and why it is super exciting. Fusion is just another way to generate energy which could generate electricity in our grid. It's the same way that the sun makes energy so it's different from our current nuclear energy technologies in that it would have no radioactive waste, And the starting materials used for fusion are basically hydrogen. So it's one of the most common elements on the earth and it's almost free uh, starting materials. So because it's free and there's no waste, the energy that it makes would be the cheapest form of energy that we could ever have, basically free. So there's no other technology innovation that could do more to pull the entire world out of poverty as nuclear fusion. Not to mention, since it doesn't produce any radioactive waste or carbon waste, um, we would basically be able to stop producing carbon dioxide and polluting the environment and contributing to global warming. So nuclear fusion is not meh, it is amazing, and it's probably the most important technology um, innovation that we will see in our lifetime. There's my two cents, and hopefully you guys can do some more research on it. Thanks. That's all
0: for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell the crossing guard in your life about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See ya. get extra credit if you don't say the Broncos suck because it's sort of a given. And I don't even, I'm not invested in, I'm more invested in football as a cultural marker of my community. I care that people care about the Broncos. It's an identifier of our city. So if they're doing bad, they're making us look bad. (laughs) It's a real big, it's a big L for Denver across the board.